We're in this book of Colossians, a book written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he'd never been to. And Paul is pleading with them to be fruitful and to go forward and to advance the kingdom. And we get this from several verses, chapter 1, verse 5 and following says this, that he, you've heard about the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So it's growing in you and it's growing in the whole world and it's being fruitful and it's multiplying. And, 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 and yet, listen to me, it's not an accomplished fact. It's not a fait accompli. It's, it's not something that's going to happen but because because we're in this warfare. And so as he celebrates that, he also says in chapter 4, verse 12, he talks about a pastor who was praying for the church, who helped start the church at Ephesus. And he says, chapter 4, verse 12, that Epaphras, one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. So he says, yeah, the, the gospel is bearing fruit, it's growing, it's multiplying, but, but real, there are people praying for you. There are people laboring in their minds and hearts that you'd grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And then he says in chapter 1, verse 10, be fruitful, multiply, he says, so, so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that, that's his, his, his goal for the church, that so you bear fruit, you increase in knowledge. Chapter 1, verse 24, an incredible verse, it says this. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So, so what he's saying here is that from generation to generation, there are sleepless nights and, and or afflictions and fastings that people go through to see the church and to see people mature and grow in Christ. And Paul says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. So we're struggling for you. We are laboring. We want to see you go forward in faith. And so behind every, listen, behind every adult who is competent and has a minimum of social skills that don't embarrass them in public, and, and who is hardworking and forward-thinking is a mom or a dad or grandparents or coaches or teachers who labored over them and loved them and taught them the way. Behind every believer who is honoring Christ and who knows and cares for the kingdom of God and who understands key concepts from, from Scripture are our parents or grandparents who fasted and prayed and wept and labored and loved so they could be mature and face forward in the reality of Christ. That's our calling. That we labor and we struggle for those under our care that we love. If you're walking in the Lord today, in part it's because people who've gone before you have prayed and labored and loved and cared and fasted and lost sleep at night and yearned over you. And that is your calling to those around you. And then he says once again about a forward-thinking, fruit-bearing church. Verse 28 and 29, Paul says this. We proclaim Christ, warning everyone 
and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Jesus Christ. For this reason, I toil, struggling with all of his energy that powerfully works within me. Paul says, I'm, I'm laboring. I'm laboring. I want to see Christ formed in you. And so that's his desire. And, and so as th this goes forward, yes, how does this accomplish? That's why Colossians is such a beautiful book because it breaks down in, in this way. Chapter 1 is learning the glory of Christ and the forgiveness of sins by the work of the cross. So chapter 1 is all about what Christ has accomplished, loosely speaking. And then you get to chapter 2, and chapter 2 addresses the cultural moment. See, we all live in cultural moments. This talks about the cultural moment that the Church of Colossae was experiencing, and it, is, it involves, as we've talked about, the Colossian heresy. And now there are various tributaries that came into the pool called the Colossian heresy. One tributary was uh, hyper-Jewish legalities. You've got to do this, this, and this to be made right with God. And Christ, Paul says, no, it's just faith. Or there's another group that said, no, it's, it's all about uh, proto-Gnosticism. God cannot be defined, and you do this and that. Paul says, no, it's all about Christ. In Christ, the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And other groups says, no, it's about magic words and incantations and ultra-mysticism. Ultra Paul says, no, it's all about. He keeps grounding people in behold the glory of Christ. Behold the glory of Christ. And, and as, that, as that is teased out, you come to chapter 3, which is about the first 17 verses, 18 verses, is how do you walk in light of the glory of Christ and the cultural moment? And he says in the first four verses, be heavenly minded, because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And he says in light of that, verse 5, put to death the anti-God energy that resides in every believer. All of us struggle with sin. He says, no, you, you strangle to death, you put to death sexual immorality and impurity and, and passion and evil desires and covetousness. So you, you just put them to death. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This isn't something that's just light fair. And he says, and you used to walk in these ways. You know, Church of Colossae, some of you were involved in all types of sexual excess. You used to walk in these ways, but now it says you must also rid yourself of relational issues and sins that destroy relationships. You must put away from yourself, he says, anger and, and, and wrath and, and malice and, and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. He says, and don't lie to each other. Just be people who speak the truth. Don't lie to each other and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of God. So you, you put to death, and you're renewed. You put to death, you're renewed. You put to death, and you're renewed. And then he gives this statement about principles that build community. And he says something in verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 3 is just something, a verse I've just thought about and thought about and thought about. It's just a great verse. So the church of Colossae is made up of all types of people, um, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, People that have it all together and people that don't have it together. And Paul says, here in the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, Scythian, barbarian, 
slave or free. You know, and they just, they heard the letter read. So you're sitting there. And let's say that you're, you come from a very fine family. You have a, a name in the city and, and maybe your parents were well-known. Your dad was on the city council and, and you're there and you're Mr. Big Stuff. And you're, you're, you know, you get a preferential seat and people grate you when you come in. And, and, uh, and, and also in, in the very back are some lower level slaves. Now in the Greco-Roman world, uh, sometimes if you hit financial hard times and you were a physician or an attorney or an entrepreneur that had to declare bankruptcy, you, you would, you would uh, sell yourself out as a slave for two or three or four years to get your financial grounding and then you'd be welcomed back into the broader culture, you know, because you'd have some money. But then there are other slaves that were, that they were born slaves. They were going to be slaves. That's just the way it is. End of the argument. So, so you have Mr. Big Stuff sitting up front, and you have these lower-level slaves in the back that just kind of hung their head in shame. They're just filled with shame. You know, we're, we're just slaves. And then you hit verse 11. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Mr. Big Stuff, who's, who's maybe a, a Greek, says, yeah, oh, my, my Jewish buddies are hearing this. Circumcised or uncircumcised? He says, yeah, lay, let them have it. I'm tired of these laws. Barbarian or Scythian, barbarians were uneducated, Scythians were, were thieves. <laughs> then he says, slave or free. And Mr. Big Stuff, sitting up front, jaw drops. He says, are, are you kidding me? The guy in the back, the lower level slave, looks up and his heart is filled with joy and he has dignity. Dignity. There is no other philosophical system or world religion that gives people inherent, intrinsic dignity other than the Christian faith. Because the Bible says that all men and women are made in the image of God. And then you get to the New Testament, and if you're a believer, God has worked in the hearts of all types of people. He, he, he has chosen the weak things of the world, 1 Corinthians, to confound the wise. Now, this past week was the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And I was thinking about it this week and reading some stuff, and I picked up the Wall Street Journal. And I was reading the editorial page, which is the best part of that newspaper, I think. And there's a big title in the editorial that said, Dr. King's Radical Biblical Vision. I thought, hmm, I wonder who wrote that. Then it says, written by a guy named Cornell West and Robert P. George. Now, when I saw that, I went, you've got to be kidding me. Now, let me explain. Cornell P. West is a, he describes himself as a radical democratic socialist. He teaches at Harvard. He's taught at the University of Paris in Princeton. He's 65, written several books. I, I've read some of his stuff. He's, he's way out there. He would, he would routinely be harshly critical of President and Miss Obama because they weren't uh, extreme enough in, in race. So Cornel West, way out there. And then Robert P. George, one of my favorite writers. Uh, he, he teaches at Princeton. He teaches jurisprudence at, at Princeton University. Robert P. George writes for a, a wonderful quarterly magazine called, uh, or monthly magazine, First Things. And every time I see that Robert P. George has written something, I read it out loud because I don't want to miss what he says, because he is good. Born in West Virginia to very poor uh, coal mining parents, Italian to Greek heritage, went on, 
got his PhD, and really a, 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 a seminal thinker. In fact, he's described as one of the top conservative minds in America. And these two guys wrote an article together, and I thought, this is going to be interesting. Let's read two paragraphs. This is what they, they wrote. Today we treat Dr. King as a saint, but he recognized himself as a sinner. He struggled to live uprightly, but often failed and stood in need of forgiveness. King was taught by the tradition of African-American Christianity, which shaped him in every dimension of his being, that all human beings are fallen. But he was also taught that all are fashioned in the image and likeness of God and are therefore worthy of being loved and treated justly. Justice being what love looks like in public. King was truly radical in his literal reading of Jesus' command that we love others unconditionally, selflessly, and self-sacrificially. And by others, he meant everyone, even those who defend injustice. He believed in struggling hard and with conviction for what one believes is right. But he equally insisted on seeing others as precious brothers and sisters, even if one judges them to be gravely in error. So twice in one paragraph. The foundation is... Men and women are made in the image of God. That, that verse 11 just is, is like a jackhammer that breaks up cement. But it goes on and says this. He, he says, verse 12, he says, in light of this, you must put on a new wardrobe. You must put on a heart of compassion and kindness and, and humility and meekness and patience. And, and you must be people who, who are forbearing with one another. And you must forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. You must forgive one another. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. It's the word that's used in the ESV. Perfect harmony. So I was thinking about that. As we get to verse 15 today and first part of verse 16, um, perfect harmony. And the question I ask is, what, what builds and fosters this community in, in, in marriages, in families, in churches? What build and, builds and fosters this community that the Apostle Paul is speaking of? And we're going to talk about two things this morning. He mentions three things to, to this morning, just more than a half really. He says this, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which he has called you because you're members of one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, so two things. First of all, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is the only time it's used in the New Testament. It means to be the umpire or the referee or the arbiter. Let the peace of Christ that you have experienced Rule in your hearts because you're called, to be, you're called to be members of one body. And listen, if you're in a local church or if you're in a marriage or you're in a family, you need peace. You need to be forbearing. You need to be grace-filled. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now understand this. There, there are three aspects of peace in the New Testament. The, the, the Greek word for, for peace is the word from which we get the word irenic. It's just a, it's just a beautiful word. I love the name, the, the sound of Irenic. So, so there are three types of peace. The first peace is the peace between man and the triune God. 
Romans 5 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God because Jesus Christ, the eternal God, became a man and died on the cross for our sins. And the judgment that should have fallen upon us fell upon him. Therefore, having been justified by faith in the finished work of Christ upon the cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that's the, the peace that, that a rebellious sinner, me, you, has with God because of who Jesus is in our life. And then there's a, there's a second type of peace, and that's the peace of, of just moment-by-moment moment existence or our existential now. It's the peace that flows in your heart because of the cross. For example, in John 14, the Lord says this statement about the issue of peace in verse 27. Christ says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I give you my peace. You have peace. Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. You trust the heart of Abba Father. See, we have peace, church. If you're, if you're a believer, we have peace because we trust the heart of the Father. The Lord is good. See, my, my dad is going to be 93 next month if he lives to the 12th of May. My dad, to my knowledge, has never, ever, 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 ever done anything to hurt me. Ever. He's been a good dad. And yet Jesus looks at his followers one day and says, if you, though you're evil parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who call upon him? So we trust the heart of Abba Father. And so we walk in obedience. See, that's the peace or well-known passage in Philippians chapter 4, where the Scripture says, uh, verse 6, don't be overly anxious about the things of life, but uh, make your request known unto God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. See, there's a peace that the world just doesn't get. Because the Bible says it passes human comprehension. It's, it's a peace that God gives you, that you trust the heart of your Father, even in the midst of hard times. And there are people here right now in hard, hard times. But he gives us peace. And then a passage I've been meditating on is Philippians, excuse me, Psalm 4, uh, that, that says this. There are many who say, who will show us some good? The psalmist says, Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. In peace, see, peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Just that, Lord, you, you give us more joy than when their stocks jump or their team wins or their wine and 
grain abound. Thank you. So that therefore in peace I will both lie down and sleep because you alone, the Lord, make me to dwell in safety. That, that's the peace God has given. So, so and then there's the third peace, the peace of this passage. The peace that talks about community relationships. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body have been called to peace. Um, Ephesians 4 says to, to pursue peace, to foster peace. And let me say this. This is not a peace at any cost. Now, there, there are going to be very few people, I think, in the worship center that get this illustration. But some of us are a little bit older, my age and older. Do, do you remember a show, a show called, uh, I forgot the name of the show. Oh, Dobie Gillis. Remember, if you remember Dobie Gillis, raise your hand. Okay, the Dobie Gillis show. And in, yeah, in, the, in the Dobie Gillis show, there was a guy on there named Maynard G. Krebs. Remember Maynard G. Krebs? Maynard G. Krebs was a beatnik. Uh, that day called beatniks, just laid back, whatever, dude, what do you want to say? And just Maynard G. Krebs morphed into a Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. So you, 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 anyway. So Maynard G. Krebs, would, no, nothing ever ruffled his feathers. Whatever you want to do, no big deal, whatever, that type of thing. Um, don't read this passage that way. What this passage is saying is that, that we should be peacemakers, we should pursue peace, we should hunt peace down, but it's not a whatever peace. See, Jesus says with great, great clarity in Matthew 7 that, that if your brother has a speck of sawdust in his eye, get the plank out of your eye, then you can see clearly to get the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye. I need friends and a spouse who get the speck out of my eye. We all have specks. We all have specks. But, but, but get the plank out first, Jesus says, then you get the speck. We are our brother's keeper. It's not peace at any cost. In 1938, there was a man named Adolf Hitler who um, seized a part of Czechoslovakia where the majority population was German. He says, really, this belongs to Germany, not to Czechoslovakia. And the, 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 the world held its breath because they're on the precipice of, of maybe war because Germany was told after the First World War, if you do this, then you will receive the wrath of the French and the British armies. And so Hitler seized the Sudetenland and, and uh, nothing happened. In fact, there was a prime minister named Neville Chamberlain who took his first plane ride ever, and he flew to Munich, and he met with Hitler, and he came back with a paper signed by Herr Hitler, and he said, we now have peace in our time, because Mr. Hitler said he will never, ever again have an armed conflict in any other nation in Europe. <laughs> and, and one year later, Hitler invaded Poland, and then Belgium, and then the Netherlands, and then France, and then so on and so on. And Neville Chamberlain is called the great appeaser. The great appeaser. There are times when we have to stand up. You know, here, here's Paul preaching about peace, advocating peace, loving peace. And, and, and yet in Galatians, 
You think, well, wow, what happened to Paul? See, in Galatians, he comes out of the block, and he says in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to destroy the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him go to hell. Paul, what's going on? Bad day? Need a caffeine break? No, no, the gospel's at stake. They were saying you've got to be circumcised to be made right with God. And he says later in the chapter something that's incredibly graphic that can't be translated very well. But it, since they weren't circumcised, he says, I wish they cut themselves all the way up. He says they're distorting the gospel. So there, there are times when you just stand by. You, you just stand by. This happened to me a few years ago. More than a few years ago. A lot, several years ago. But... It could have happened yesterday. I was in a meeting, church meeting. We were talking about something that was involving our children, child care. It's always a hot topic. And for some reason, I was leading the meeting, and I got a little upset, and I said some things pretty emotively, and one of the statements was made to my wife, who was in disagreement with me. That's the last time we've ever had a disagreement. You guys know that. Anyway, after the meeting was over, a, a, a friend, who's still a friend, said, may I speak to you? And he pulled me in a room and closed the door and said, you were in sin. He said, you spoke to your wife and to other people in a way that you should not speak to them. He said, if I spoke to my wife like that, it would not be a good homecoming. And I went, I, I hadn't realized that I'd done it. Sometimes I know I'm sinning. Sometimes I'm just stupid. And I've respected him ever since that moment. I need people in my life who say, whoa, 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 whoa. So this is not a peace at any cost. But boy, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be a peacemaker. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. One of the greatest passages in, in, in the Bible about peace is just a glorious passage. It's in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, James says, uh, says, the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, which means single-focused. Then he says, peace-loving. Peace-loving. Hmm. Pure, then it's peace-loving and uh, gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. And he says this. Here's, here's Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. Are, are you a peacemaker? Are you forbearing? I, I want to be a peacemaker. So when I have a little paradigm I follow when these things come up, and it, it, sometimes it works, but let me just give it to you. It says that when a situation arises, I say, does it glorify God? Will this issue going into it glorify God? Secondly, will it benefit those who listen? And thirdly, is it really necessary? I don't have to die on every hill, but some hills I need to die on. God, give me wisdom. And then this little, this little verse Closes with this statement. Do this because you're called into the body of Christ. And it says this, and be thankful. 
Verse 16 talks about the word dwelling in you. It says, and do it with thankfulness in your heart. The very next verse says, whatever you do, always give thanks to God the Father through Christ. So three times in three verses, he says, thankful, thankfulness, thankful. Thankful, thankfulness, thankful. And here's the issue. If I'm going to be a peacemaker, there's an there's a, there's a undeniable link between being a peacemaker and being thankful. And the question is, am I a thankful person? Am I thankful? Do, do I thank God for his daily gifts and his benefit to me? Am I thankful Do, do I thank him? Last service. Right before I preached, we sang a hymn. And so I'm sitting over here and uh, there's, there's, a, there's a dear man sitting to my right. And he had a cane and he's, he's stooped and and he can barely stand, and I know his family, and he's having some issues, and he just buried his wife. And yet he stood. He stood with his curved body and his cane, and he stood, stood and he tried to sing fairest, Lord Jesus. I said, God, God, forgive me for ever complaining. Here's a man just buried his wife, dealing with issues. Am I thankful? Am I a person of thanksgiving? Do I encourage people? Do I go out of the way just to, just to encourage people? So there's a Heidelberg Catechism, question one, I'll give you the short answer. What is your only hope in life and death? Answer, my only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by his shed blood has satisfied God's wrath for me in my life. Not a hair can fall from my head without my heavenly Father's knowledge. Just okay. Question two goes like this. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Some translations say, with happiness. Well, what must you know to live and die a happy person? Answer, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. <laughs> Second, how I am set free from all my sins by the cross. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Now, if you, if you have to eat today and you have somebody you're talking to, server, Tip them well, first of all. And, and they say, uh, so you know, we were discussing seriously how, how to live a happy life. Oh, I'd like to know, how's that? The first thing, you have to know what a horrible sinner you are. Well, thank you. I, the, the Hallmark will never come up with that. But the Bible does. And secondly, how you're released from this sin and misery by the Jesus who died on the cross for your sin. And thirdly, how I can continually express thanksgiving to the Lord. Are you a thankful person? I want to be a thankful person. So how do we build these things in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our church? First of all, you, you let the peace of Jesus be the umpire in your life because you've been called into the body of Christ 
and be thankful. Secondly, you must let the word dwell in you richly. We'll just begin this this week and hit it again next week. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To richly means to, to dwell in large amount or extremely. So, so here's a little diagram. You, we have one foot in order, i.e. scripture, and one foot in chaos. And as the word rules us, we can go into the chaos and bring order. The, the scripture gives us a place to stand. You live with purpose and dignity and joy and, and, and hope. I think of Psalm 1 that says, Blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He, he thinks about it. He'll be like a tree planted, see, planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and, and his leaf never withers. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff. There's no rootedness. They're blown here, they're blown there. I said, I'm, 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 I'm going to be that kind of man. I'm going to be planted. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this. And now, O Israel, where does, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love and serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. You can trust Abba Father. I want that. It gives you a place to stand. I was reading this week about a new uh, phenomenon among teens in early 20s. Title of the article says, Where is your teen sleeping? Question mark. Try Walmart. So there's a new deal going on now with some early 20s and late teens where they'll, they'll creep into, as they said, a Walmart or, or, or uh, uh, a Nordstrom's, and they'll hide and they'll let people close it down and they'll spend the night in Walmart or Nordstrom's or Wendy's. I don't know where you sleep in Wendy's, but, uh, but they'll, 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 they take uh, one of these videos themselves and put it on the internet for all their friends can see, hey, we spend the night at Walmart. Just, which, you know, I, they, they don't do anything illegal. They're not tearing the store up. They're just stupid. You know, you know, being stupid is not against the law, thankfully. I just thought, you know, really? I mean, I guess in the 20s, not that I remember, but it was about swallowing goldfish. Now sleeping in Walmart and Nordstrom's and Wendy's and Ikea and whatever. But again, they're, 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 they're not tearing the store. They're just spending the night there and walking out when they open it up in the morning. I mean, you go to, go to Walmart and you, you hide behind the tires. Everybody leaves and say, dude, we're by ourselves in Walmart. And you sleep. I mean, I, I, that just doesn't ring my bells. They're just giving your life to silliness. When you know the Lord, it gives you a place to stand. Compared to this article I read this week about a group, or really two weeks ago, there's a group that's an offshoot of Boko Haram in Nigeria. They went to this village and they, they kidnapped 91 young girls, most of them in their 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age. 91. They took him into the north where the Muslim population is the majority and they were there for a few months and they did unspeakable things. And 
because of international pressure, they, uh, they, they released them. They released 91. It took 110. Several died, but, but they, they released 91. And the article says that they, they, they brought them back, and they were dressed as Muslim women. And it says uh, at least four girls died in captivity, while another, a Christian named Leah Shirubu, here's her picture, refused to convert to Islam. Ms. Sherubu's mother, Rebecca, collapsed and was taken to a hospital when she heard her daughter wasn't among those who were released. So every girl was released except this one girl and who said, I will not deny Christ. He said, the only thing you've got to do is to be released and say there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And you renounce Christ. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Leah Sharubu. To my knowledge, she still hasn't been released. Church, it gives you a place to stand. So I back up from this and I look at this. And I say, how, how do we, how do we begin to appropriate this? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. What do we, what do, we do? Uh, just two things. One is, um, as you read the scripture, maybe you've, this passage today, Colossians 3.15, it kind of hits you. Man, that, boom. I need to think about that. So you, you take that and you put it on an index card and you put it in your pocket or on the fridge and, and you think it out loud. You, you, you say it out loud. You pray it to the Lord. Lord, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in my heart as I love my wife and try to love and serve my children. Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, Lord, as I pray for my neighbors. Bam, bam, bam. Let, let the peace of Christ rule in my heart because I've been called to be part of the body of Christ. And Lord, let me be thankful. Let me express my thanksgiving to this person for being a good friend to me for 35 years this week. Let me, let me be thankful. Let, let, let me speak kindness to people. That, that type of thing. So that's just simple. But you've got to get the word in your life. God changes your life by the power of the Holy Spirit as you speak the word. Another thing I thought about is, is just, it's very simple. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So one thing I'm, I'm going to start um, is, is there's just power in reading the Bible out loud. And so, um, let's say <clears throat> today is the 8th of April. So the psalm of the day, for me, I, I say the psalm of the day, is Psalm 8 and, or Psalm 38, see, every month. Or Psalm 68, see, or Psalm 98, okay, or Psalm 128. Anyway, so, so, so you, you, you just read the psalm out loud and you say to yourself or your person with, does that say anything to you? If it doesn't, you just keep on going. But the word, see, the Ephesians 5 says the word washes us. Or today in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, January, February, March, April. Okay, I, I, I do this. So today is John, because it's April 4. Next month will be Matthew, start again, but John 8 today. So I'll read John 8 today because I want to be in the Gospels. And, and I'll say, well, what does this say? Let the Word wash you. As a family, get together and say, okay, guys, uh, 
we're going to read this part of this scripture today. Let's just read it out loud together. And may the Lord wash us with the word. So when Paul says, when you're building community as, as a family or, or as a church or, or as a married couple, let the word wash your soul. Just simple. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. More about that next week. So, peace, peacemakers. Let me just say this. I haven't really talked to you about this. Dean's going to come up here in a minute and Dustin in the worship center. And they're going to say, we have people who will be here to pray with you after the worship service. We have elders and some key leaders who, who come up and they're, they're here to pray. And the reason we do that, which we started that, is we're really trying, the Bible says to bear each other's burdens. Uh, in Galatians, the Bible says in James, the, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And there, we're a community of people. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, and all of us have needs. Some of us have crushing needs. Some of us have needs about distant relatives or about a child. Or, and we want to pray with you. We want to be the body of Christ. This is a tangible way. I filled out my little registration slip and put down two major prayer requests in my life. One is for um, a relative that doesn't know Christ. Pray for him. Another is about a dear person in my life who's fallen into egregious sin, that he would really, really repent. I need prayer for that. So we're the body of Christ. So after the service, people are here to pray with you uh, because nobody here is um, a person with no need. Some are huge. Some are not so huge. Everybody has needs. Everybody has issues. I'm so thankful that we pray to a prayer-hearing God through our mediator, Jesus. So let's do that now. Lord, thank you for the goodness of the cross. Thank you that we have peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus. And because of that, we experience moment by moment peace. I think the Bible says, the Bible says great peace have they who love your law. Thank you the psalmist says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. Because you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. So good. So good. And I pray we'd have peace in our families, in our marriages, and in our relationships, Lord. We, I pray that. I pray that, that we would all be peacemakers, but not peace at any cost. And I pray that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. Teach us how to get the word in the heart's and lives of those for whom we are laboring, who we love. So come, Lord, and speak to us. Thank you for your prayer hearing God that you bear our burdens. In Jesus' name, amen.